As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic, helping you to understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. I'm Ruth Jackson, and before we hear from today's wonderful guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And if you register or you sign up for our newsletter there, you can get yourself a free ebook or multiple free ebooks. But now for today's show. I'm joined by Anna Avia, a Mexican writer living in Guatemala with a background in science. She's also the author of Make the Most of Your Time, a practical guide to honoring God with your day. Anna, welcome to the show. We're going to talk a little bit more about your book and some of the things in there in a later episode. We're also going to talk about science and faith because that's uh, one thing that you write and talk about a lot. But before we do that, I'd love to go kind of right back to the beginning. What was your experience of God growing up as a little girl in Mexico? Of course. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I grew up in an evangelical church. I was part of it. Since I can remember, my parents are very involved. They are part of the leadership. And so I grew up learning about Jesus, about the Bible. I was that nerdy kid who wanted to memorize all the verses. Also, always wanted to be the first one to raise their hand at Bible school and stuff. But sadly, when I was about 12, my parents had some sort of fallout with the church and they just stopped going. And then they actually stopped mentioning God and and and. I just stopped also thinking about God. I stopped going to church. I I just went on with my life. And when I was about 15, I reconnected to to some friends from church when I was from when I was little through Messenger. We started chatting and they invited me to one of their youth camps. And I was just like, okay, I have no friends. I might as well just join them and <laughs> and see what it's all about. And I realized when I was in, in those events that I knew a lot about God, that I behaved very well according to people, but that I didn't really know God, that I wasn't actually trying to be good or or striving to be good because I loved the good, because I loved God, but because I wanted to please everyone. I wanted to feel good about myself. So in that youth camp, I repented of my sin of my people pleasing and I surrendered to Jesus and started following him and trying to do that ever since. And do you think your faith as a 15 year old was sort of similar to what it had been as a child and you just picked it up again or or did it look completely different? 
Not at all. It looked completely different. When I was a child, I just wanted to know a lot of things. I mean, I still want to know a lot of things, <laughs> but the the striving was completely different. I wanted to be someone. I wanted to be rec- recognized. I wanted to be known because of my knowledge. Uh, I wanted to be known because I was good. I was a pretty goody. I never, never, ever uh, disobeyed my parents, even when I, they weren't watching, they weren't around. I was always striving to be good, but it was out of fear, a fear of men, fear of what people would say, not out of fear of God, not of out of God of love, uh, not out of the love of God, I mean. So yeah, it was completely different and it's a much more freeing way of being a person. So yeah, even though I continue to go to the same church and basically do the same things, Bible reading, praying, serving and stuff, the heart behind it is completely different. And I suppose it related to that, perhaps your perception of God would have completely changed, would it, how you viewed him? Um, of course. I, yeah. But I, before, I don't even remember thinking about God as a person who loved me. It was just like a subject to know about. Just, yeah, it was completely detached from me, like relationally. So after, it was completely different. Now I understood that God loved me and he was a person and he wanted to have a relationship with me. So yeah, completely different. So uh, let's let's move on a little bit with your life. You're now living in Guatemala. How did you end up there? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, it's crazy. We are originally from Mexico, my husband and I. Uh, we were both born there and grew up there. We met and married there. So we, we we lived all of our lives in Mexico. But then about six years ago, we we started to to realize we wanted to change. Um, and we had thought about it before and talked about it, but we weren't sure about what to do. My husband loves the Lord. He has a calling to be a pastor and he wanted to plant a church, but he was not really sure about how to do it so through some friends from work i work at coalition Angelio and international ministry so i had friends from guatemala and it was very very providential we just were talking to them and i was like oh when i go visit guatemala because we have friends there and we want to travel so we set up a trip and before the trip we heard about some work our friends from Guatemala were doing. We started to learn more about it. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. I mean, we should go join them and, I don't know, learn about church planting. And I work from home so we can support ourselves through my job. And my husband was like, you are insane. You're completely <laughs> insane. I, I have a job here. We have a house. We have a car. We have a lot of stuff we can leave behind. But, but to me, it was so clear. Then I was like, okay, God, if this is something that is kind from you, I'm going to just shut up and pray. And you have to convince my husband because I'm not going to get into fights about this. <laughs> so I just started praying and and we visited Guatemala like in this touristy, not at all uh, planning for the future trip. It was just visiting friends. Um, but the first day we came and we met our friends and we talked about the mission they were doing. My husband was like, okay, we're moving here. So we moved here like seven weeks after we came back from that trip. So we just came back. He quit his job. We sold what we could and gave away most things 
because we're terrible salespeople, terrible, just terrible. Uh, so we gave away most of what we had and we came here with four suitcases that would half clothing, half books. And yeah, we started over here. And now my husband is a church planter and pastor and a mission here on Guatemala. And I'm just helping any way I can. Wow. And you've sort of set down roots in Guatemala, haven't you? You've got your family here now. Yeah, we had two children now, the one through the miracle of biology and one through the miracle of adoption, as a friend likes to say, and both Guatemalan. Uh, yeah, so we, we don't know how long we'll be staying here, but we love it. And we really love what God is doing here. Now, Anna, this is going to be so hard not to make sweeping generalizations, but what does Christianity look like across Latin America? Obviously, that covers so many different countries and lots of different people groups. But if you could make a sweeping generalization, you know, just paint a little picture for us of the landscape of Christianity across Latin America, if you can. Sure. Well, if I could just sum it up, in contrast to the UK and Europe, as far as I know, mm-hmm. as Christianity is not a weird peer. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and in Europe, if you say, uh, from what I've heard and what I've experienced and a few trips I've had there, if you say you're a Christian or a pastor or you're in, in a way religious, actually committed, it's not weird. And in Europe, it's like, really? Why? <laughs> but here it's like, oh, okay. And But it certainly is different between countries. And um, especially denominationally and, and and culturally, Mexico is much more of a Catholic country and religion is mostly a cultural thing that you say you're sort of Catholic, but you aren't actually going to mass very often, nor committed to the values and principles of the faith. Mostly, of course, there, is, there are many, many exceptions. Guatemala is much more even like most of the country is Christian, at least in name, but it's uh, and denominational is mostly 50-50 Christian, Christian, evangelical, and Catholic. Um, that to me, as a person who grew up in Mexico in this Catholic culture, it was very, very strange. I was, mm-hmm. um, in every corner here, you find an evangelical church. If you say you want to plant a church and be a pastor here at Guatemala, a lot of people are suspicious of you because it makes you want to make money. Because here, a lot of the uh, problems with the church is that there are a lot of churches that are just money makers, unfortunately. So Christianity is seen as something that is very common, but a lot of a lot of people see it with suspicion too. So um, yeah, that's some of the things I can say about Christianity in Latin America, particularly in Mexico and Guatemala. And, and so, obviously, your experiences with Mexico and Guatemala, but would you say that generally the uh, many of the countries in Latin America are sympathetic towards Christianity? I suppose, as you say there, there's that kind of cynicism around it and <laughs> a suspicion of certain things. But on the whole, would they be more sympathetic towards Christianity yeah. than, than some of Europe? Definitely, yeah. I think... Most people believe in God, that there's a higher power, that there's something out there. Uh, and so, so yeah, it's much more part of our culture and our day-to-day. Of course, it doesn't look uh, the same everywhere, but this overall sense that there's a God and that we should honor him in a way it's present, yeah. 
And have you seen at all a move away from religion and the church towards secularism like so many other parts of the West? Or is that not so much of a move that you're seeing across parts of Latin America? There's definitely a move. Um, there are definitely people that are promoting secularism and points of view that are not compatible with faith at all. But I think they, they have much more more trouble getting people to join them. It's not as easy as it may be some other parts of the world. So I, I wouldn't say that there's not this move. I think it's struggling much more than in other parts of the world. So I suppose often what you see is in countries or uh, continents where there is a bit more of a move towards secularism, I guess on the flip side, um, you see apologetics kind of come into its fore in order to combat some of those big objections from atheists, from yep. secularists. W what is the kind of lay of the land in terms of apologetics in Latin America? Is there much apologetics happening? Is it happening within a church context to Christians? Is it happening in a kind of external facing, trying to reach non-Christians. What does apologetics look like generally? Again, sweeping generalization, but what does it generally look like across some of the Latin American yeah. countries? Well, I see uh, more and more interest in apologetics, which I'm, I'm grateful for because it's all about helping Christians think more deeply about their own faith and helping people who are not Christians to understand that Christianity is not nonsense. Um, I definitely see it more within the church, for the church first. And I think that's going to be necessary for a few decades because in Latin America, we are, yeah, we don't have that tradition of intellectual, um, it, yeah, intellectual uh, practicing like you in, in the UK and the US have, like scholars and thinkers. We, we don't have that. Of course, there are thinkers and there are scholars, but there are not as many. And they are not as involved in the churches and people don't know about them. So I, I've always seen that in Latin America, the way we learn is mostly being told what to believe. A lot of the time, it's just uh, you go to a church and you hear the pastor and you just buy whatever he's selling. And when we, he, do, you just, do you see them? up there they use okay you say he's up there he has a bible he probably knows what he's talking about so you just agree with what he's saying and that that form of learning is not just within the church it's also in schools at homes it's um you just follow the authority without much questioning um so we are now starting to realize i think the consequences of that of not being able to to ask questions of sharing doubts or or of asking for evidence um, but there are every day more and more people who are encouraging the church of going to the word by themselves to going to science and other forms of knowledge to get the evidence they need to feel confident in their faith um so, yeah, I see apologetics growing more and more, starting within the church for the church. Um, but hopefully it will grow more and more so we can reach out to the world, too. 
And I suppose this this may not be an obvious thing if, as you say, there isn't much of a culture of kind of questioning and grappling with these things. But are there big questions that non-Christians, well, I guess, and Christians are asking? I mean, do you see sort of the, the same objections to the Christian faith coming up time and time again? Or does it differ so much depending on country to country and age group and, and all of that? You know, is is there kind of a few think of a few big questions that keep coming up i think related to all this we're talking about one of the biggest questions is how can i know for sure what is true um because i've been hearing from my pastor this for years and years and i've just taken it face value and now i'm understanding this is not right uh, and then you start to question all all of you all of these you've ever heard and then you start wondering how can i know if this is true or not uh, this thing i hold dear so i think that is one of the most important questions um i think there are also very practical questions as in okay now i'm understanding this is not the right way to look at things what do i do about it should i leave my church what does that look like? I don't. I don't. I can't find a healthy church or church that is actually preaching the gospel. Um, what can I do about it? So, very practical things that are actually coming up after these realization of maybe having been lied to for a lot of years. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. And what about outside of the church? Are there big questions that you see sort of coming up time and time again in terms of the reason why people are either moving away from the church or sort of haven't really engaged with it in the first place? Yeah, I think here in Guatemala, at least, because of the, the evangelical church having such a big influence in politics and, and socioeconomic things, um, and it's not a good influence, to be honest, a lot of the time. People are just like, okay, this is just life. This is just a money-making machine. Why should I believe in this God they're supposedly preaching? So helping people to understand what people say in the name of God is not all, always what God is saying in the Bible is very important. So I think in Guatemala, those those kinds of questions, the questions of what, who is actually God and what is his church actually supposed to do in this world? Those are some of the most important questions. Do you think that would be fair of Latin America as a whole? Again, I'm so sorry, this is a sweeping <laughs> generalization. But do you think there's a sense in which, because for a lot of those countries, there is a very strong Christian culture, um, wh whether that is sort of more nominal or not is is that sense in a kind of un, un, unhinging the church from God almost is that is that quite a big thing yeah when we're talking about apologetics uh, yeah I would I would say it's fair to say that because even though in other countries the evangelical church in particular might not have uh, be amount of power or influence it has in Guatemala uh, yeah, in Latin American general society is mostly Christian. If you ask people, most of them are going to answer they're Christian of some sort. And people are watching the 
economic disparities, the uh, the crimes, uh, and and you wonder. I mean, how is it that in these countries that are supposedly Christian, that are supposedly filled with people who love God, uh, why are we seeing such violence, such crime, such such injustice? So yeah, it's fair to say that people are wondering, where's the church? Isn't this supposed to be another way? So do you think that makes evangelism in some senses quite difficult if you're in a kind of quite a Christian culture anyway to sort of speak the gospel into that context? Is that quite difficult? It is quite difficult. My husband always says that he rather preaches the gospel to an unbeliever than to a person who thinks he's a believer but is actually not. Uh, when a pastor I closely work with and fall says that people in Latin America have been vaccinated against the true gospel because they have this counterfeit that they believe um, in. So when you try to preach to them about God and stand in Jesus, they're like, yeah, I know about it. I'm a Christian, but they're not. They're really not. They haven't embraced the reality of their own sin, of their wickedness, of their need of God. So they have a hard time actually listening to the message of the gospel. So it's for sure difficult um, because as my pastor friend says, they're actually been vaccinated against the true gospel. And is there, again, general sweeping, <laughs> a sweeping generalization, but are there people doing evangelism in a Latin American context? And if so, what does that look like? Or is it really different depending on their context? I think people are preaching the gospel, but I do believe that because because a lot of us assume that a lot of us are Christians, and when we try to uh, bring Jesus up in the conversation, it's like, oh yeah, you just said that, or it. But but just sitting down and and make sure the person really understands what sin is, what God is asking from us, who Jesus is, who Jesus said he was doing that takes time and effort and a theological mastery that a lot of people don't have um i think that to be able to disentangle the true gospel from all the things we've grown up hearing about that have jesus name on them or god's name on them it takes theological sophistication and a lot of people don't don't have that so most people just Settle from settle with oh Jesus you heard about him oh great next so that's as far as they they tend to go uh, so we are I, I see a lot of people myself including trying to educate Christians uh, in theology in the gospel and how does it actually look in real life so people can detect these counterfeits and talk. Uh, against them in their daily lives. So I suppose you've talked there about the the more negative examples of people trying to do evangelism and failing. On the flip side, what are some of the effective ways that you have seen people share their faith or do evangelism in a Latin American context? And why do you think that those approaches have been so well received? Discipleship, like long-term relational, just like bringing people in your house and reading the Bible together and just talking about life and about the gospel in everyday life. I think 
those are the most effective ways to reach people here because again this disentanglement takes time and and it needs to be really in the context of relationship so we've seen a lot of people just coming to churches and coming to houses from of, of people from church and just having a meal and discussing the gospel over and over again and then you hear about like oh I've really never understood this. I grew up in church. I, I've heard about Jesus a million times before, stories of the Bible, but this gospel, I've never heard it actually preached before. Um, so in those relational, communal, home discipleship uh, ways, I think it's, it's one of the most powerful ways to just share that gospel. And and yeah, it's, it's so awesome to see people just freed from this pressure of just striving and trying to please God in their own strength or, or being confused about all of these things they've heard about God and blessing and prosperity and, and stay, uh, yeah, and just hear them just be relieved by the true gospel is so awesome. So people would generally be up for an invitation because I guess that's one of the things in in a lot of Europe, for instance, if you were to invite someone to a church in inverted commas, you know, a church yes. or religious event, you just wouldn't even see them come. But oh. that's <laughs> is that perhaps that's perhaps easier in Anna? It's I, I, in um in Latin America, and I guess it's it's the next step that's difficult for you guys, right? The not so yes. much the invite, but then how you take them on that journey afterwards. Yes. Yeah, we love to go there. So people are always like open to, yeah, they always, here in Guatemala, they always tell you that they'll come. Some of them won't, but a lot of them will. We have this culture of just relation, of community, of gathering in houses and having parties and, and just being together. So yeah, probably that's easier here than in Europe. Anna, what can Christians around the world learn from the Christian community in Latin America, do you think? I think this aspect of community, of the power of just doing life together, is something that could be just embraced by people all around the world. It doesn't have to be a big party with a lot of people hugging everyone. I mean, I'm an <laughs> introvert, so um, so I'm not... A, I'm not a fan of just having 15 people in my house and talking to everyone for hours, but just inviting two or three friends over coffee and bread and just talking about our lives and sharing our struggles. That is so powerful. And that is, I think, the way God made us to to be and grow and challenge each other. Um, I know it's easier to isolate yourself and try to learn about God and about theology and about life through books and through <laughs> just videos on YouTube. And and I say this because I am that way. I just rather spend my time with books instead of people, but understanding that God read me out of a body and that I need to seek out people because I need those people and they need me. Uh, that is something we we could all benefit from, yeah. So is that something that you think has done quite well in a lot of Latin American countries? Yeah, I think it's more a little bit more natural for us, I guess. <laughs> I guess on the flip side, Anna, vice versa, is is there anything that you think some of the Latin American churches could learn from those in other parts of the world? You know, from from your experience of of what you've seen, I guess, on YouTube <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think this this thing we talked about before of the kind of learning we tend to do and the the kind of leadership we tend to follow. This, I I, I must say, authoritarian. Like, okay, there's this person who has all the answers. I'm gonna just shut up and listen. Um, I've stated that it's different in other parts of the world. When I talked, for example, with friends from the U.S., that um, they just have a fight with the pastor because they don't agree with something. And <laughs> I mean, of course, that can be taken to the other uh, extreme and just you just try to find a church that suits you in every way and just drop, jump around from church to church. That a toxic stream we don't want. But that that freedom to just question and to just like say, okay, yes, you're the pastor, I respect you, but I don't agree with you here. And I, I'm also a child of God and I can go to my Bible and understand it. And I am seeing things that are not, not, not quite what Jesus said here or Paul said there. So that freedom to just challenge and question and when it's appropriate and in a respectful manner, I think that's something we definitely need to learn because we tend to just shut up and follow lead. Um, and that's not healthy when it's not dying wisdom. And I think that's such an interesting thing, you know, how we sort of ask questions, but in a respectful way and how we challenge the status quo or, or the authorities, but in a respectful way. I mean, if you could sort of whittle it down to some top tips for doing that, for questioning some of the things that we have assumed, um, either that being in a Christian context where you've grown up thinking all of these things and actually you want to really grapple with your faith and make it your own rather than it being something that you have kind of taken on from your parents or, or you know, from, from your church leaders without really questioning it. Or from the flip side, if you are an atheist and you're beginning to challenge some questions around what you're believing and you know, what's the logical conclusion of, of this and therefore beginning to sort of question some of the things that they're thinking. How would you go about questioning your beliefs or those authority figures in a kind of, in a nutshell? What are some of the ways that you would recommend doing that? Yeah. Well, for a Christian, and even for an atheist, but for a Christian, for sure, I would start with prayer. <laughs> there is a promise in the book of James for those who feel that they lack wisdom, God just says, it's just ask for it. And that is one of my favorite things in the whole Bible is like, okay, God, I'm dumb. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm thinking. I just need your help. So, and, and asking for that wisdom and knowing that God will give it freely, that is so relieving. You don't have to rely on your own understanding, on your own smarts, on your own strength, on your bravery. You just need to surrender to God. So I would encourage the Christian for sure to start there in prayer, just seeking the Lord, asking him for wisdom, knowing that he's the God of all truth and that he's pleased with us when we try to strive for the truth. And for the atheist, for sure, if, if you, you don't believe there's a God, that they wouldn't hurt to pray, there's a God, that he answers and that he reveals himself to you. Um, then I would not do it alone. Uh, a lot of people are just scared. Um, and I understand that. What are people going to say? 
if they if they see me asking these questions or reading these books or I don't know questioning about this topic. Um, but we are not meant to do life alone. So I would encourage people to, to seek out a person of two or two that you know that are people who love God, who understand His Word, that love you, that wants what's best for you, and just having them go go through this journey with you. They don't have to be like seeking the answers to the same questions, but just accompanying you because. In, in moments of doubt, we can feel so isolated and so cut off from everyone else. So just reaching out and to somebody say, you know what, I'm struggling with some stuff or I have some questions. Could you pray for me? Could you join me for coffee? And can we chat about this? I think that can make a ton of difference. Um, and then looking for people who love God, love the truth, who are experts, and asking questions in a respectful way, just like coming from this place of, I want to get to truth and not, oh, you're lying to me. Oh, this is, this is stupid or like in this <laughs> disagreeable <laughs> matter, but just like opening your heart and, and showing that what you care most is about the truth. Um, and I would encourage people to be comfortable with uncomfortableness uh that is part of the learning process um there are a lot of things that i don't have answers for and i need to be okay with that i need to be okay when you know what there that this is a big topic that there's a lot to ask a lot to seek out to research and i'm not there yet but that's okay <laughs> that's okay um we need to be okay with not having all the answers all the time and, and understanding that learning and and getting to the truth is a process, a process that is not going to be complete in this side of eternity and probably not in the other one either. <laughs> but um, God can be glorified in that process too. God is not only glorified when we are settled on an answer and okay, this is the right answer and the truth and I believe this, but God is also glorified in that, okay, God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea what this is, but you do, and I trust you. Um, so that is important to understand too. And I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today, but we are going to be hearing much more from you over the next few episodes where we're going to be talking about signs of faith and we're also going to be talking about burnout and some of the topics in your book. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic with me, Ruth Jackson. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. Please do let us know what you think of the programme by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk or you can get in touch with us on social media. Thank you for listening and see you next week. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.